0: you're listening to the national secular society podcast hosted by emma park in april this year scotland's justice minister hamza yousaf introduced the scottish parliament to the hate crime and public order bill according to the scottish government's justice and safety blog the purpose of this bill is to modernize consolidate and extend scotland's existing hate crime law One of the ways it will do this is by introducing new offences relating to stirring up hatred, as it puts it, against various protected groups, including those categorised by religion. The National Secular Society, along with some academics and religious groups, has opposed the bill, claiming that it represents a direct attack on freedom of speech. But Mr Yusuf has claimed that part two of the bill, which deals with the stirring up hatred offences, in fact sets a very high threshold for criminality. Moreover, partly because of the Bill's attempt to protect all sorts of minorities from what it calls threatening or abusive behaviour, it has actually received widespread support among the Scottish public. At the same time, in what appears to be a step forward for freedom of speech, the Government has announced that the same Bill will abolish the old common law offence of blasphemy. But is the Scottish Government actually abolishing blasphemy with one hand and reinstating it with another? Can free speech worth the name survive in Scotland? To answer these questions, I'm joined now by Neil Barber, Communications Officer of the Edinburgh Secular Society, and the National Secular Society CEO, Stephen Evans. The bill was introduced into the Scottish Parliament by Justice Minister Hamza Yousaf. Let's start by going through the provisions that have been argued by secularists to be problematic. Um, The key part in this bill is Clause 3, entitled Offences of Stirring Up Hatred. Um, Under subsection 2A, it is an offense if someone either behaves in a threatening or abusive manner or communicates threatening or abusive material to another person and also intends to stir up hatred, which we'll get onto next. So to begin with on this clause, it looks like there are two types of behavior nowadays in this new bill which will be able to get you into trouble, being either threatening or abusive. So, Neil, what's wrong with this dichotomy between being either threatening or abusive?
1: Well, at the top of this, uh, let me say that um, it's a great thing that the government of Scotland is seeking to create a bill that that protects minority groups. It is a, it is a great thing, uh, so not, not wanting to moan about it, but the, the concern is the actual wording of it when it comes to religion. Uh, there's... A lot of social work evidence that uh, hate speech aimed at somebody based on who they are is more hurtful. There's more manifest damage involved and there's more manifest damage involved to the community of which they're a part, Uh, so that is rightly recognised in the law. Um, But in terms of what is threatening or abusive, there's a fine line. I mean, for example, I think people should be entitled to oppose marriage equality as long as they don't ship up at gay weddings with a placard. That's the point at which there is existing laws on harassment that, 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 would, that would police against that. It's um, okay to oppose abortion as long as you're not guilt-tripping women outside the clinic. Uh, you know, so there's a fine line between having an idea and being threatening and being Abusive. Now, in terms of what abuse means, we have to we have to at this early stage play the life of Brian card. Uh, I mean, you know, had this law existed in those days, there might well have been a concern that life of Brian was abusive and therefore a criminal a criminal act. Um, in terms of communicating uh, and threatening abusive material to another person. Well, you've got to think, what if the shoe were on the other foot in terms of religious belief? I mean, the the great Abrahamic uh, books of religion, they all talk about how gay people will burn in eternal hell and uh, d- d- disbelievers should be put to death. Uh, now, if that's not uh, threatening and abusive behavior, I don't know what is. So in terms of communicating that sort of a, a material to another person, it wouldn't be uh, a, too ridiculous to imagine somebody taking Gideon's to court for sending Bibles to primary schools. Uh, we've got to bear in mind that there's a great difference between threats and abuse. So the law rightly protects everyone against being threatened, but um, abuse is is a different sort of thing.
0: What, what, Stephen, I mean, just to, to on that point, I mean, abusive to you or, or Neil as well, I mean, what is wrong with that? Is that taking, is your problem that it's taking the definition too wide?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the inclusion of abusive is a particular problem because it risks capturing and, and criminalizing quite a vast array of speech or behavior. It makes the threshold for prosecution too low. And I think it seriously risks chilling free speech to the point where people feel the need to censor themselves in fear of accidentally transgressing the new law. Um, You know, clearly threatening people is wrong. I don't have a problem with threatening behavior being against the law. Uh, Actually, it already is, as Neil said. Um, Abusive speech, on the other hand, is much more subjective. It's vague. It's open to interpretation and therefore it's going to be open to abuse. Um, Hate speech laws are a great way to censor people you disagree with. So just look at the dictionary definition of abusive and you'll see it's defined as extremely offensive and insulting. So straight away you start to see the problem. Um, Neil mentioned uh, the life of Brian. I think perhaps a modern day example of that could be um, publishing cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. And that could clearly become unlawful. Uh, if this law is passed. And if that's not a blasphemy law, then I don't know what is. Look, there's there's clearly a lot of speech and behaviour out there that people are finding offensive and may even consider to be abusive. And um, a a lot of people seem deeply offended by a lot of things right now. Um, I'm not sure if it's because of the lockdown or what. I don't think it's helping. But, you know, there has been a growing culture of offence for some time now, whether it's about religious matters, transgender issues, racial issues or whatever else, a lot of people are offended. Um, and and it's
0: the point that, I mean, basically, people just have to deal with being offended in a free society.
2: I think so. But you know, if social media platforms want to ban people for violating um, uh, the platform's uh, terms of engagement, their rules, well, that's one thing. But criminalising speech uh, that we find abusive, I think that's quite another Because if the law can be used to shut down discussions and debates about these issues, then I think we're in a very dangerous place. And I think the way this new law is drafted may well lead to vexatious complaints and attempts to prosecute people when all we're really talking about for the most part is uh, a disagreement, maybe a fundamental difference of opinion. But that's what it is. And sometimes it may be ill tempered. It it could be provocative. It often is. But people do need the freedom to speak freely on these matters, however contentious they are. And frankly, I think police have got better things to be doing than refereeing our culture wars.
0: Yeah. And the whole of private eye might be you know, abolished and any satirical publications if, if we have such
1: a law. I know, I know we're going to come on to this in terms of the, 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 this, the qualitative difference between religious belief and other protected characteristics. But just on, what's, on the point Stephen was making, I had a debate recently with, um, well, it wasn't a debate. We discussed recently the fact that um, some American estate agents are seeking to change the word master bedroom into a primary bedroom. And so everyone on Facebook was split. There was the, oh, that's ridiculous. It's political correctness gone mad, it's ridiculous. And then on the other hand, there's a sense that, well, w- words contain power. And if we can change words that are not gonna hurt people, then then what's the harm with that? But with the religious belief, you'd never know what's going to be hurtful to them. That's the thing. You just don't know. It's something It's something that they choose to believe and set up this set of completely peculiar esoteric ideas of what is offensive. And I think that we have to look at that as we examine uh, the hierarchy of protected characteristics.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, there's a, more, a wider question, which we won't go into now, about the general censorship of language. Should we just be brave and deal with the fact that, that language doesn't always... Um, conform to a particular set of values at a particular time. But Neil, in terms, just very quickly, you said um, in terms of the threatening um, aspect of this provision, it's already covered in, um, in the law under harassment Um, Laws and things like that. So, is it even necessary to have this um, law at all if if the threatening hub is already covered?
1: Well, in Scotland, what we have just now it's about um, causing fear and alarm. Now, the the protected characteristics that we have: age, disability, religion, sexual orientation, transgender identity. Um, they're all covered already. What has changed is this notion of stirring up hatred. Now, there, there was always a stirring up hatred bill in Scotland, but it's applied only to race. Uh, what is what is happening is that these, these other protected characteristics, I, I believe most significantly religious belief, are being added to the stirring up hatred. And they've kind of bunged in the other ones as an afterthought, I have to say. I think this whole thing is focused on accommodating religious reaction to the fact that the blasphemy law is being changed.
0: Leaving the other protected characteristics aside, they they have their own um, issues, but focusing on the religion, you're saying it's just unnecessary to bring religion into this um, hate speech bill?
2: Uh, Yeah, well for me I don't think the new uh, offences are necessary at all. People in Scotland are already adequately protected by the law, Um, if we look at the uh, Criminal Justice and Licensing Act of 2010, Section 38 already outlaws uh, threatening and actually abusive behavior uh, where that behavior causes reasonable person to suffer free and alarm. So this law protects everybody. It doesn't focus on protected characteristics. It's a law that protects everyone from the sort of behavior that the Justice Secretary says he wants to outlaw. So if it's already outlawed, I think there's absolutely no justification for introducing new speech laws.
0: Yeah, okay. So it looks like they're just trying to do more control of our, our language and our behavior than is necessary. And in terms of this specific way that the legislation is drafted, there, there also seem quite dramatic restrictions on what people can do. Because under subsection two of this um, clause about the offenses of stirring up hatred, um, in addition, to um, behaving in a threatening or abusive manner, um, the person to be guilty of offence must either intend to stir up hatred against a group of persons based on characteristics, including religion, or even if they did not intend to stir up hatred, they can still be guilty of a criminal offense if, as a result of their threatening or abusive behavior, it is likely that hatred will be stirred up against a group. So in other words, A person can behave in a certain way, which is deemed abusive. Um, And then if if it's likely that hatred somehow or other will be mysteriously stirred up, um, that person can be guilty of an offence, even if they didn't intend to do so. Um, Neil, is this a a real objection to the bill?
1: Well, indeed, I think, as I said before, Religious ideas are sometimes quite peculiar to the religious group that practice them. Um, for them to say that this manifestly offends me in a way that might not have involved any intent intent to offend or any even understanding of what is being offended against, it seems like a step too far. I mean, f- f- for example, the, the law prevents protected characteristics from being threatened or abused. Uh, or insulted, but religion uniquely is being exempt from the insulted aspect of it. So again, I think that's that's the kind of life of Brian angle. Um, but if there's this notion that religion is somehow qualitatively different from these other, from these other protected characteristic, and somehow shouldn't shouldn't be protected from being insulted, uh, and yet is being protected from being abused uh, on these nuances pivots religious privilege and if they think for a minute that they can claim that they're being insulted in a way that is going to stir up hatred then i think it's a dangerous precedent
0: stephen but what do you think is there a problem is there a fine line between insulting and, and abusing
2: well, if you look at the definition of abusive, it's something that's extremely offensive. So I think there is a very fine line. Uh, I don't really know where the line is, to be honest. I think it's very vague. And that's the problem with these sort of laws. But on, on the question uh, you asked about criminalizing actions deemed likely to stir up hatred, as Neil said, you know, this does drastically widen the reach of the bill. People can commit a stirring up offense. Um, a stirring up of hatred offence without ever intending to do so. There doesn't even need to be hatred actually stirred up. It just needs to be deemed likely that hatred will be stirred up. And, you know, in these polarised and you know somewhat feverish times, I think that's a very low threshold. Post almost anything on Twitter these days and someone somewhere will probably accuse you of stirring up hatred. But more often than not, I think the heat and the hatred is stirred up by professional offence takers who want to whip these things up to serve their identity politics agenda, if you like. And I think sometimes this can be even compounded by police forces who involve themselves in these somewhat petty disagreements online. Um, But these offences that Scotland is planning to introduce will actually punish people by up to seven years imprisonment. And that's a big deal. That's a big loss of liberty. So I think there should absolutely Um, it should absolutely be necessary for the prosecution to demonstrate some sort of
0: intent. Yeah, the the men's rare, the the guilty mind which we normally associate with criminal law. Yeah, I mean, even to me, the very phrase stirring up hatred sounds rather sinister. It it reminds me of... um, the the crime of provoking quarrels, which is a sort of catch-all crime used by the Chinese Communist Party um, against any citizen that dares to say anything um, critical of its politics. Uh, Do you you think there's something sinister about this general metaphorical phrase, stirring up hatred?
2: Well, it's an interesting one because, of course, it's not unlawful to hate people. Hatred is not against the law. So I think it's hard to understand why encouraging other people to hate should be against the law.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and in terms of stirring up hatred, um, looking further in the details, the offence is is defined not in terms of stirring up hatred against individuals, but only against groups. But how do you define group for these purposes anyway? What, What is a group? Who gets to decide which group any particular individual belongs to as a matter of law? Does, does this smack up identity politics, Neil,
1: what do you think? Well, I don't think anybody should be hated for any reason. I mean I mean let let's let's be clear. Uh, there's, there's no reason to hate anybody. but um, the difference between the protected characteristics, Listed and religious re- religious belief is that religious belief is a choice. I mean, i I accept that people that are that are born into fundamentally religious communities and brought up as such, it's walking away from them is going to be difficult. But it's not impossible. I mean, just ask any member of the Council of ex-Muslims of Britain. You know there is no such council of ex-disabled people of Britain or ex-gay people of Britain. You know it's a it's it's a completely different sort of category, uh, as we touched on in that it is being not being protected from insult uh, as we as we talked about in the last question. So you can't declare a religious belief on Monday and then expect a whole raft of protections for that on Tuesday. Uh, religious belief is i mean you know we're 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 campaigning for secularism we're not campaigning against religion but uh, religious belief is sometimes a little esoteric you can't assume a chosen religious philosophy and expect it to be given parity with sexual orientation or sex identity or um or gen- or, or or whether you're disabled or not, they're completely different. And I, I think, frankly, it's a it's it's a little insulting to uh, people for whom their protected characteristic identity is an integral part of their nature, as opposed to a jacket that they can put on and take off.
2: I, th- I think Neil makes a fair point then that religion or belief, it, it clearly is different from other protected characteristics, such as race, sex, sexual orientation, disability, whatever. Um, you know, they are chosen. Where religion is a free choice, or at least it should be. Um, And I think maybe one consequence of it being a protected characteristic on a par with the immutable characteristics is that it, it has become harder to discuss and critique religion. So criticism of Islam, for example, has really been extensively problematized as Islamophobic, but no religion should be beyond scrutiny, criticism, or even contempt. And I do understand that religion is often it's very central to a person's identity. Um, nevertheless, I do think there needs to be greater recognition of of the difference between beliefs which are chosen and the other characteristics which 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 aren't.
0: Absolutely. I mean, especially if you think about um, how, how you define a religious group because I'm mean, talking to various people who've been on this podcast um, if you if you decide a group is, is defined by a community leader, what about those individuals who may have slightly different beliefs um, within that group? So it's, it's, it's not like a religious group is, is obvious, perhaps, in the way that the, the disability is, is obvious. Well,
1: indeed, it's something you can walk into yeah. or, or walk away from uh, at any stage. Uh, and therefore, it's not something... I mean, again, nobody should be hated for any reason. I th- I think ultimately, you know, I mean, the, the idea that that hate crime should be administered by an ever-widening number of of protected characteristics it is maybe the wrong direction to think of this uh, in 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 general i mean maybe we should just have this notion that uh, that a crime against somebody based on, on 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 their identity which in itself does no harm to anybody else is it is a crime, and there is. The, the, it, I think it's. It's. We are right to consider hate crime as a different sort of crime. I mean, you know, there's social work evidence that there is more manifest harm in being in being attacked because of your uh, of your protected characteristic, rather than your number just coming up in a dark alleyway.
2: And this is, this, yeah, I mean, th- this is why we have aggregate ag- aggravated offences because that recognises that when it's caught to a person's identity. Um, yeah, the the, the harm of that offence is greater. So I think it is already recognised in law in that way. But, you know, and and everyone, as Neil said, everyone should be protected from discrimination, harassment and threats. And everyone in Scotland already is protected. So I think we need to be much clearer that, you know, the beliefs you hold dear can be criticised, even in the strongest, most offensive and even abusive terms. But individuals are worthy of protection and all individuals should be protected.
0: Yeah. And and on that question of balance, Stephen, between um, the right to freedom of speech um, and the right to protecting individuals, you know, we're talking now about the Article 10 of the Human Rights Act, which um, guarantees freedom of expression, but is subject to restrictions which are necessary in a democratic society. That's the test, such as to prevent crime or to protect um, other people's rights or reputation. Neil, so the Scottish Government, I mean, would they presumably argue that the restrictions that they're trying to impose through this bill are are necessary? Um, But where do you draw the line between um, people's right to be protected and their right to freedom of expression? Is is the Scottish Government um, fulfilling the necessary test?
1: well it's 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 a, a a tricky question because I mean I'm old enough to remember clause 28 <clears throat> you know a, a system where the state actually was was aggressive to to, to gay identity. Um, so um to 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 now feel that the state is seeking to protect gay people and seeking to protect minorities it's a great thing you know it's 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 difficult when assessing this bill, to lay aside our own minority interests and assess it as what on in terms of what is fair for everyone involved um i mean i've spoken to other people about uh about the uh the the, the bill and people are supporting it for different reasons i mean tim from equality network which is a scottish charity work which works for uh, lesbian gay bisexual transgender and intersex equality they're supporting the bill um they like the new language it's using about trans and intersex sex identities they, they they like the general feeling of it and uh, the women's groups they've spoken to um, are quite in support of 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 the part of this that is the possibility of introducing an offensive misogynist harassment on the other hand my other friend who works for a group called abused men in Scotland um she's uh, concerned, about the the offence of misogynist harassment, because uh, because she says that something like twenty five or thirty percent of domestic abuse victims are men, and to underscore the notion of misogynist harassment in law is is maybe taking the eye off the ball on, on, on that one a little bit. So we have to be careful as we uh, as we seek to protect uh, to protect people who need protection. I mean, obviously we're all singing from the same hymn sheet in terms of religion doesn't need the same protection, but in terms of, uh, and to to be ad absurdum about this, when is the point at which somebody says, Oh, I, I beat up Ralph because I didn't like his jacket. You know, should jackets become a protected characteristic? When is hate crime just crime?
0: Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. So yeah, where, where, does, where does this line come? What, what counts as something that should be protected? Stephen, what do you think?
2: Well, to go back to your question of where does the balance lie and have the government got the balance right, I, I think there should always be a presumption in favour of free speech and we need to tiptoe very carefully away from that presumption. Um, speech and expression should only be limited by the state when there's a really overwhelming strong case for doing so. So incitement to violence, uh, defaming people, shouting fire in a crowded place, the, the public order exception. These are clear examples of reasonable limits to free speech. But, but as soon as you go down the road of criminalizing the causing of offense and being abusive about people's beliefs, um, or, or about even about people's identity to some extent, I think that really starts to spell the end for free speech. So yes, individuals should be protected from harm. um, And as I say, I think they already are. But being offended, for me, doesn't constitute uh, a serious enough harm. I think that's a very flimsy basis for taking away the fundamental right to free speech.
0: Absolutely, and I I think one of the problems is that identity has become such a big deal in a way that it wasn't before, and it's become so closely associated with being offended. I think there seems to be a real, real problem
1: there. Well, it's as Stephen says. I mean, the law has the law already protects all the protected characteristics. There's already laws about uh, alarm and fear um, that exist in, in Scottish law, and not
2: just the protected characteristics. I mean, nobody should be caused alarm and fear by abusive and threatening behaviour, and that's what the law says at the moment. So that's that's the non-identitarian approach, which I think is the best approach
1: what what has changed what has changed is is it, it, adding to the fact that race is already protected in terms of stirring up hatred adding added to that list is now all the protected characteristics which already are protected so what religious people are maybe going to try and uh, uh, use is the fact that now there's a law against the in, the likelihood of stirring up hatred against religious belief now that is incredibly incredibly vague and incredibly esoteric and something and, and something which which is well intended by by the justice minister but i think he hasn't thought through the implications of what this means for belief or religious belief
2: i think neil's uh quite right to point out that this is actually well-intentioned for the most part. I think it comes from a place where uh, policymakers want to create a more harmonious society and achieve social cohesion through suppressing um, difficult free speech. But I think that's wholly misguided. Um, I think it's the aim, but I think it's misguided. In diverse, pluralistic, uh, multicultural societies, you know, there are a lot of people of different persuasions living side by side and inevitably that creates a bit of friction from time to time and people will get offended from time to time. Um, and But I, I think the answer for some people to reduce that friction is by trying to limit free speech. Um, but I think it's counterproductive and I think banning words or arguments which a, a particular group finds offensive, it's never led to social harmony. And I think with the rise of identity politics and the politics of grievance and the idea um, that uh, has spread quite prolifically, um, that groups have some sort of right not to be offended. And in a way, this sounds nice. It's good to be polite, right? It's a respectable sounding idea. And it gets votes from identity groups that want their beliefs to be insulated from any sort of criticism. But in fact, the whole idea is toxic to liberal democracy.
0: Absolutely. Um, And and on that point, Stephen, let's just compare the Scottish bill with the law that's currently the case in England and Wales, um, which is under the Racial and Religious Hatred Act 2006. Um, This is a very short act, and it states that a person who uses threatening words or behaviour or displays any written material which is threatening, um, so it's only threatening, is guilty of an offence if he intends thereby to stir up religious hatred. So that's where the religious hatred comes in. Um, to English law but no, in terms of the differences with the Scottish provision first of all um, the intention is, has got to be that the person must intend to stir up hatred um, secondly it's not about stirring up hatred against any particular groups so there's no idea that the groups can say what they find offensive and thereby define the law um, and also it um, looks like this conf- offense is solely about religious hatred so it's a sort of a very narrow specific provision Um, Stephen, what do you think overall? Is this um, better than the Scottish provision and and how has it worked in practice since it's come into force?
2: Right, so yeah, laws uh, against stirring up of racial hatred were introduced in England and Wales in 1986 and it was in 2007 that these offences were extended to include the stirring up of hatred on on grounds of religion. And in respect of the stirring up of hatred on religious grounds uh, in England and Wales, uh, words or conduct must be threatening, so not merely abusive or insulting. So that's one difference. Um, you ask about what the effect of the law has been. Well, prosecutions for stirring up hatred aren't particularly common. Uh, there were 13 prosecutions in 2018 19, uh, 11 of which resulted in convictions. And I think that was the highest number of cases prosecuted in any uh, year to date. Um, And one of the reasons the number is so low is because of the higher evidential thresholds. There are key um, protections that the National Secular Society, along with other uh, free speech and human rights uh, defenders, worked hard to secure. So the law in England and Wales now recognises that it's absolutely essential in a free democratic tolerant society that people are able to exchange views even where offence is caused. And this was achieved by an amendment during the passage of the Racial Religious Hatred Act, which explicitly states that the law doesn't restrict discussion, criticism, uh, expressions of antipathy, uh, dislike, ridicule, insults, or abuse of particular religions or the beliefs or practices of their adherents. And that's a key difference. The Scottish law has a much weaker free speech provision. Uh, It only protects people from being convicted solely on the basis that behaviour involves or includes discussion of criticism or religion. So it seems to me like the Scottish government seems to want to kind of police the way people talk about religion. So polite discussion and criticism might be OK, but you know, you'd, you'd better mind your language and watch your tone. And I think that's a massive overreach on the part of the state. Um, as we said before, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I think people, generally speaking, should be polite and not go out of their way to offend others. I just don't think the state should be policing this sort of thing. Free speech means absolutely nothing unless it gives us the right to offend, to speak freely, to shock and even disturb people. And you know, there are unpleasant and hateful people out there saying unpleasant things, but it shouldn't be criminal. Civil society should push back. Uh, Social media platforms maybe can push back. I don't think it's a matter of the law
1: in Scotland I think concerns on this front are made more poignant by the existence of what's known as the the uh, 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 well uh, uh, by the existence of sectarianism in in Scotland what's known as Scotland's shame uh, I think that that kind of that kind of sharpens the whole notion of religious offense I mean sectarianism in in, in Scotland especially in the west coast blights communities you know people are uh, uh, people are, are polarized um, but I think the idea of dealing with that from this, in this top-down sort of way, um, you know, policing the behaviour of the hate speech that is manifest of sectarianism, is naive, given that the Scottish government funds Catholic faith schools and facilitates uh, Orange marches down our streets. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it, I think, I think it's a bit top-down. In terms, in in terms of uh, of dealing with the existence of these things, and of course in England there was the hateful example of the of the Birmingham protests about uh, about the No Outsiders campaign, where the religious parents were citing. Um, uh, protected characteristics in defense of their discrimination they were saying you know yes we get that homosexuality is a protective characteristic but so is religious belief so you're discriminating against us in denying us the right to discriminate against other people it's 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 absurd and i think you have this kind of hierarchy of protected characteristics uh, and religion shouldn't be on the list
0: yeah, I and mean, I mean, even a hierarchy might think that just it's at a certain point where two of them clash, it's about ultimately you then might just suppress every possible form of criticism of everything, and sort of reductio ad absurdum. But talking about these laws and the idea of policing. Um, free speech. Um, this, this goes back a long way actually because you know we've had blasphemy laws both in England and Scotland for, for a very long time and in the 19th century for example it was considered dangerous to say anything in print that could be interpreted as bringing the holy scriptures and the Christian religion into ridicule and contempt as one Scottish judge put it. Put it. Um, so to give the listeners a bit of background on this you may remember that in 2008, um, the common law offence of blasphemy was abolished in England and Wales. But in Scotland, it still exists, even though the last prosecutions for blasphemy happened um, way back in 1843. Now, the Scottish Government has said that it is going to abolish the common law offence of blasphemy at the same time as it um, brings the Hate Crime Bill in, into force as an act. Um, Neil. What, what do you think about this? Is the Scottish Government abolishing blasphemy with one hand and reenacting it with the other?
1: I think that the, the ab- abolishing of the blasphemy law is the very founding of this whole debate about changing the the, the, the definition of hate crime. Uh, I mean, we've had a blasphemy law for a while. Edinburgh Secular Society and others have been campaigning against this for quite some time. And I think that in acceding to our uh, demands that this has changed, there has been a sense that they have to replace it with something. Uh, I mean, the whole idea that a- an idea is so flimsy that it requires protection from the state uh to 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 defend its existence rather than simply depending on its own on on the strength of its own argument is is quite absurd. Uh, plus the fact, of course, that uh, as we've all argued, um, Scotland can't say to Saudi Arabia, uh, "Gonna stop executing people for for blasphemy" when they might turn around and say, "But you've got a blasphemy law. What what's the problem?" So it's important that we uh, that we show. Uh, 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 that, that that we, we are on a, a par with with the idea that blasphemy shouldn't be shouldn't be right for anyone. But in Scotland, I think, as I said before, a lot of um, moderate religious believers have have agreed to that. But there are some fundamental religious leaders that are quite uh, comfortable with the existing law of blasphemy. It's a it's a background hum that serves their purpose. And uh, so when. The, when it, when it's repealed, I think the the concern for the Scottish government was to replace it with something that would comfort what is essentially a block vote, the religious block vote, and uh, that's that. In my judgement, is has been the start of all this uh, of all this, this this change in the law. It's almost as if the other protected characteristics being added to, uh, you know, the the law about uh, stirring up hatred. It, uh, is an afterthought. It's really been focused, I-, I think, on addressing the perceived concern that repealing the blasphemy law uh, has brought.
0: Um, Stephen, is that is that your impression as well, that fundamentally this whole hate speech bill is is about blasphemy really in one way or another?
2: Yeah, I think there are parallels. And look, blasphemy laws are an affront to speech, they're anachronism, and it's great that Scotland's law is being abolished. Um, of course, all religion should be open to debate. But Neil's got a point. I, I do worry that hate speech laws are replacing blasphemy laws as a means of punishing speech that's deemed offensive. And whereas that was once restricted to religion with blasphemy laws, I think we are seeing it now being expanded out to other areas such as gender or gender identity. And it's not always helpful because laws against hate speech are notoriously subjective and they're wide open to abuse, and so they do end up chilling free speech. And, you know, to some extent, attempts to restrict free speech about religion, uh, it's always been about control, it's about preventing your religion from being challenged, uh, to prevent your religion from losing arguments, losing faith, losing authority. And today I think plenty of people want to close down speech because it's easier sometimes to shut down debate than win arguments. We've all seen people on social media platforms uh, uh, or in real life, who, who instead of arguing back with rational arguments, facts, logic, and reason, just simply go straight to outrage and, and take offense, making accusations, name-calling, as a way of winning an argument. So I'm, I am concerned about the, uh, what I see as the growing kind of cancel culture and its damaging effect on free expression. And I think modern hate speech laws, like blasphemy laws of old, do contribute to a climate where free speech is chilled. And I don't think that's healthy for a democracy where all ideas, however controversial, however challenging for some people, they do need to be open to scrutiny and debate. And if they're bad ideas, then I think free speech is the best disinfectant for bad ideas. So there's no question. For me, for the most part, hate speech laws are well-intentioned, but of course the road to hell is always paved with good intentions. And ultimately, I think they're counterproductive and quite clearly threaten the principle of free speech
0: yeah great thanks stephen well if you um are listening to this podcast and you would be interested in supporting the edinburgh secular society or the national secular society in opposing the hate crime bill maybe stephen and um, neil you could tell listeners what they might be able to do to get further involved
2: Sure. Well, uh, do subscribe to Newsline, uh, the NSS's weekly newsletter. Uh, Visit the website and you will find ways to get involved. The uh, Scotland's Justice Committee is asking for views and it's accepting submissions until, I think, the 24th of July. Um, For listeners in Scotland, we'll also have a suggested letter to MSPs. So, yeah, please do visit the NSS website and use your free speech to defend free speech because if you don't use it and defend it, you'll
0: lose it. Um, Neil Barber and Stephen Evans, thank you very much. Thank you. That was episode 29 of the National Secular Society podcast hosted by Emma Park. My guest speakers were Neil Barber and Stephen Evans. If you would like to help us challenge unfair religious privilege and support freedom of and from religion in Britain today, why not become a member of the NSS? All details are on our website at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. If you like this podcast, you can find more episodes and more information about this episode on our website. Thanks for listening.